0: Good morning, and well, or whatever time of day you're listening to this, it's morning as I'm recording, uh, and welcome to Asbury Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Sivini, I am the lead pastor here at Asbury. We hope that this podcast will enrich your walk with Christ, increase your knowledge of the Bible, and I hope that it will be just a little bit entertaining for you as we go. Now this is a glorious, glorious morning. It's beautiful, the sun is shining, the weather's clear, and the San Antonio Spurs were just awarded the number one pick in the NBA draft. I have said for years that God is a Spurs fan. This just proves it. On a more serious note, um, we are now moving pretty quickly through Paul's letters because we have kind of passed the longest of them. they're, they're put into the New Testament in, in order of length with the longest first and the shortest second. So as we go along, we're going to be reading through more and more letters each week because each letter gets shorter and shorter um, until you get to Hebrews. So that means that I, I preached this Sunday on Ephesians. I'm going to preach next Sunday on 1 Timothy, but we're, we're reading through uh, a few different letters between now and then. Uh, and so I'm going to try and talk briefly about some of them as much as I can. Uh, there are several. Now, one of them is Philippians. Philippians is um, far and away Paul's nicest letter. He's, he's nicer in Philippians than he is anywhere else. You know, he like he he's he's just so much more gentle with them. Um, and uh, there there are reasons why um, the. The city of Philippi is situated in, um, well, it's what they would have called Macedonia. Uh, I I believe it would actually be modern day Greece now. Um, but if you can, um, if you can kind of picture, I don't know how familiar with, you know, the geography of Greece you are, um, but if you can picture kind of the country of Greece, you know, it has, of course, um, you know, it's this long kind of peninsula coming down off the, the tip of Europe, but there's a, a sort of panhandle that runs uh, to the east towards Turkey. And on that panhandle, and if you want to take the time to like look up a map or something, you can. There's, there's a smaller peninsula that comes off and it's got, it's, it looks almost like a like a claw or a hand reaching out from from the mainland because it's this sort of little fat, chunky peninsula with three smaller peninsulas sticking off of it. Um, and, and Philippi was just to the east of that. That may not be a useful description for many of you, but we're working on a podcast here, so we're doing the best we can. Um... The, the city itself was named after King philip ii of Macedon who was um, I remember I believe that he yeah that would be Alexander the Great's father uh, there is actually still a town there but it's a small little village um, the ancient ruins are still there Philippi in Paul's day it, it's the the city sits on on this road called the via media Um now, the Via Media is a road that connects the Adriatic Sea with not quite the Aegean. It's, it's um, I forget what they would have called the Straits uh, back then, but it comes to what would one day become Constantinople. The Straits right across uh, the Black Sea where the mainland of Europe and, the, and Turkey are just you know within spitting distance of each other. And that was a major economic route. Uh, You could ship goods across the Adriatic, carry them over land to the Straits in Turkey. It was a major travel route for people who couldn't afford or didn't want to travel by ship. Uh, It was a major military road, because if you needed to send an army from Rome to the Middle East, um, far easier to go across that road than trying to put them all on boats and carrying them over. Uh, and so it's a very important roadway and Philippi states are right on it. Now, before Paul's day, there, were, there was a massive battle near Philippi. Um, specifically, this fight is between the, um, between Mark Anthony and Octavian uh, and the assassins who had killed Caesar. Okay, so Caesar's dead, um, Octavian, who will one day become Caesar Augustus, and Mark Antony are his sort of joint heirs at first. And they go into civil war versus uh, Marcus Brutus and Gaius Cassius, the, the sort of ringleaders of the assassination attempt. Now, later on, Octavian and Mark Antony will... will fight each other, but but for now, they're sort of on the same side, Um, and the Battle of Philippi is fought in 42 BC, and this is a decisive victory for Antony and Octavian. This is, uh, one, it, it puts an end to that particular civil war. It also really effectively puts an end to any hope that Rome will become a republic again. Um, After that battle, uh, it's pretty clear that either Mark Antony or Octavian is going to become the emperor. And there's really uh, no more hope for Rome to remain a republic. So that battle is quite significant historically. But for our purposes... Uh, One of the things that happened that made a significant impact on the culture of Philippi and which therefore is extremely relevant to Paul and the church is that after that battle, um, huge numbers of soldiers from Mark Antony and Octavian's army were released from service and given land grants in Philippi. And Philippi becomes a Roman colony. So Philippi is not like the other cities that Paul writes to. Um, Corinth, Ephesus, the the general people in Thessalonica uh, or in Galatia. Those regions are part of the Roman Empire, but the people living there are largely natives who are just now part of the Roman Empire. Philippi is a Roman colony. It is established as an extension of Rome itself. And it's settled largely by the military veterans of Caesar Augustus's campaign, which means the people who lived there during Paul's day are the descendants, because this is over 100 years later. They're the, the, they're the descendants of those veterans. That means Philippi is an extremely patriotic place. Roman culture is very strong. It is beloved. They are extremely proud of their Roman heritage. you got to know that the Roman Empire really took care of its citizens and its veterans. Um, Roman citizens did not pay taxes. Isn't that nice? Don't you wish that applied to us? Um, Roman, the, the, the taxes of the Roman state were supported by other people. Roman citizens didn't pay taxes. They had extensive legal rights um, that were not extended to non-citizens, and the Roman veterans were given land for free. That was the reward for service. Now, there was uh, a bit of a manipulation thing going on there because the, the Roman government didn't like the idea of all these uh, battle-hardened soldiers returning home to Rome where they might cause trouble, so they gave them land far away. Um, you know, You kept them happy by giving them free land, which, of course, was at that time, as it is today, at that time, it was just about the most reliable way to build wealth. Um, You gave them free land far away. You kept them happy. You kept them away from Rome because there is a long history in in Rome of soldiers returning from battle, causing uh, massive social upheaval and even overthrowing governments. So soldiers who have won the battle get rewarded and they get to stay far away. That's what Philippi is. It is a Roman colony. It is steeped in Roman culture. The people there have every reason to be extremely, unflinchingly loyal to the Empire and to the Emperor, who have taken really good care of them. And it's a pretty wealthy city, because um, it is both on the Via Media, which is a major trade route across land, and it's a major port city with a big industry uh, centered on the production of indigo dye, which uh, which was an extremely expensive item in that day. Now, Paul visits Philippi during his second missionary journey, which is sometime in AD 49, AD 50. And Paul plants a church in Philippi. So here's the deal. Philippi is the first place where Paul preaches on European soil. Philippi is probably the first church on European soil. Um, and he visits uh, at least twice uh, on different occasions in 56 and the year 57, so back to back. And the most likely date for this letter to the Philippians is from 60, somewhere around AD 61, AD 62. And um, he writes this most likely from the city of Ephesus. What's really interesting is um, just how much. Paul seems to love the Philippians. You know, other churches, they seem to have like all kinds of problems that Paul is trying to help them deal with, and he's trying to whip them into shape. And so many of his letters, a huge part of the content is Paul basically saying, you know, get your act together, you filthy animals. <laughs> Philippi is not like that. Philippi, the, the Philippian, letter to the Philippians is, is lots and lots of um, encouragement. And there are probably a few reasons for that. Um, one is, of course, Paul has now not only planted the church, but visited twice. And so he probably, uh, it's its likely that they did have some issues that Paul needed to deal with, but that he was there in person two years in a row and probably dealt with them in person. Um, and by the time he sends this letter, um, they've kind of got their act together. But the other reason is that because this church... Is in a Roman colony in an exceptionally patriotic city. They are probably dealing with hardship, with um, not persecution yet, uh, um, but certainly sort of ostracism uh, more so than any of his other churches. Right? If you if you're going to be a Christian in Philippi, you're probably going to be um, effectively, and outsider to the rest of society, you'll probably be excluded in every way possible. Um, if your family does not convert with you, you probably just lost your family. Because remember, the, the core claim of Christianity in Paul's day is Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not they are directly countering everything that the empire says about itself and about its emperor and saying, no, 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 he is not the ruler of the world. Jesus is. Um, And for most really loyal Roman citizens, that would have amounted to some form of treason. Um, Now, given that they were still following Roman law and they were still, um, when possible, behaving as good citizens... It, it seems a little premature, maybe, to have them in real physical conflict. Um, and so there's this mix of, of, like, some puzzlement on the part of a lot of Roman citizens about what to do with these Christians. Because, okay, yeah, they're proclaiming a different king, uh, but they don't seem to actually be doing anything about it. Um, but at the same time, there is a lot of hatred there. There is a lot of uh, anger and and... Yeah, so they—they they are likely the Philippians are social outcasts. Very likely they are, um, really, really struggling with a, a whole lot of this, which is why this letter is so encouraging. And he—he um, he just kind of the whole letter is really just him encouraging them to continue on in the faith, um, right? So you, he just has. Like here in chapter 1. Um, not there, sorry, wrong place. But um, like well, he opens up by saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, for your all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So he encourages them, you know, you're on the right path, you're doing well, and and kind of shares with them just how much their own example and their own faithfulness has uh, inspired and encouraged him Uh, Again, very different tone from most of his other letters. Um, I'm trying to... He he has things here where he just reminds them stuff, right? Like in, in 2.14, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast through the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Um, so, need some, in- some instruction there. Some, but... but Not a whole lot. Um, So again, the letter is mostly just encouragement and love. And so the value for us today of reading Philippians really comes from um, needing encouragement ourselves we, we need our own encouragement from time to time. And we actually have, we, you know, we all live, uh, most of you listening to this live in, in Texas, in South Texas, which is a pretty patriotic place. And we have to remind people from time to time that, uh, Jesus is God. Jesus is King. Um, whoever you voted into office is not the ruler of the world. And, you know, as, as obvious as it may seem, sometimes we have to remind people that you know the United States is not the promised land and Americans are not God's chosen people. That's not what's going on here. And that can make us unpopular. But more importantly, pushing the values of the gospel will always put us at odds with the culture from time to time. And so sometimes we do need encouragement and we do need a reminder um, that God is still active, that we're still on the right track, that, that that preaching the gospel, even if it causes us some social difficulty, even if it causes us to feel alone, even if it causes us to face opposition, even if it doesn't seem as if it's being very fruitful, preaching the gospel will always bear fruit. We may not see the fruit, but it always does. And then, of course, there's the... Probably the most famous line from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known by everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. let just love that verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Remember, he's talking to people who have been probably kicked out of their families, who, um, if they own a business, probably are on the verge of losing it because no one will shop there except the other Christians. Um, they're, they're struggling a lot. Rejoice in the Lord always. In many ways, I think the Philippian struggle is probably the one that's most similar to the struggle of the modern Christian in the United States because we don't face real persecution, but we do face, uh, especially now in light of all the things going on uh, in in our Methodist world, we do face um, broken relationships. We do face face ostracism. We do face being social outcasts. We do face... um, the judgment of the, the worldly society around us for our beliefs. We're not so different from the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I think in some ways that's that's An appeal to just you know not don't respond in kind when you're treated poorly. It's almost this you know if they're being accused, as you and I might be, of being um, unreasonable, unintelligent, illogical, of being uh, you know whatever other insults are hurled towards us, um, you can refute that with your actions and your behavior, and that's the best way to go. Now, this bit about don't be uh, anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Sometimes people will take that and use that as an excuse to um, say that people who struggle with anxiety or depression um, (laughs) just aren't trusting God enough for it or Aren't praying enough, or uh, are sinning too much, or whatever, um, and that's just nonsense. Paul's not talking about people who actually have mental health issues. He's talking about the generalized anxiety that comes with their situation, um, the the worry that they have about what their businesses are going to do and how their family will, uh, you know, treat them and how how their kids will get along in a society that. Is gonna look down on them for their beliefs and, and that kind of stuff. Not not the sort of thing that you might need um, you know to see a, a therapist for or that you might even need medication for, but the stuff that just the general stress of, of being part of a countercultural religious movement. Don't be anxious about it because God's got it under control. And if you're worried about anything, let God know about it. So that's Philippians. Let's talk briefly about Colossians, slightly different. Um, Colossians is addressed to the church in the city of Colossi, or Colossae. I don't actually know how to pronounce those words. Now this is an ancient city that is It's in what we would call Turkey now. Uh, Back then it would have been Asia Minor. That's how they called it. uh, In the area of uh, Phrygia. Now, Phrygia, if you can kind of picture Turkey in your in your eyes, um, Galatia is like right dead center in Turkey, Um, and then. Phrygia is just to the west of that. It is in. It is on the interior of Turkey, sort of. But it is more to the west rather than being right in the dead center. Uh, and so Colase is a city that's, that's in the middle of, um, and, and kind of to the uh, kind of on the southern portion of it. Um, I'm trying to pull up a map so I can actually give you. More specific idea about where it is, because I always forget. Um, here we go. Okay, so it's it's. If you can again, if you can picture Turkey in your mind, um, it is very near to the southern coast of Turkey. Um, it's not on the coast. It's definitely inland, but it's towards the southern coast. It's it's quite a ways from the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is Right on the west coast of Turkey, right, right in the center of the coastline. Um, and if you just draw a diagonal line to the southwest, Colossi, Colossi is in that direction. Um, again, I don't know how helpful that is here on a podcast, but you know, I do what I can. Um, It's referenced in ancient times as this great, massive city, Um, and and it is still, in Paul's day, uh, a fairly important economic center, although it's not nearly as big as it had been before. Um, But there is kind of a weird fusion uh, of religious influences. We call this syncretism, uh, where different religions adopt practices from each other um you see this a lot today today in latin america with um with uh, catholicism and some of the the local native religions and and as well some of the the um traditional african religions that were brought over with the slaves if you're are visiting a a town in latin america or in the caribbean especially like i saw this in cuba a lot you'd be kind of going by someone's houses and you might see a couple of dead chickens laid out in front of the door (laughs) Um, next, next to their statue of Jesus. Um, and, uh, so Colossi had some of that going on with, uh, with Judaism, with pagan influences, with Gnosticism. Um, and it's been described as like this, uh, the term they described it is an angel cult, uh, which venerated the archangel Michael. Um, and, and the legend goes that the angel had caused a spring to form near the city. Um and and there's some kind of connection there with pagan deities like Zeus. Uh, it's a very odd religious religious mix um, and so Paul writes this letter to people who are in a town where there's some weird religious syncretism going on. Um, Paul mentions a, a figure named. Epaphras, here in uh, chapter 1, verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Uh, Tradition holds that Epaphras is actually the uh, first bishop of the community in Colossae. Uh, Paul doesn't seem to have ever visited the city. He's heard of the Colossians' faith, but he doesn't seem to be Visiting them, um, uh, and in in fact, in his letter to Philemon, Paul tells Philemon that he hopes to visit Colossae upon being freed from uh, prison. Philemon, by the way, is assumed to be uh, to have been named as the second bishop of Colossae. So that's the city. It's it's an interesting community. Um, this particular letter, because he is writing to, um, because he's writing to a church that's in the city where there's all kinds of syncretism going on, and where people are used to taking elements of one religion and sort of incorporating them into another one. Uh, one of the things that is really the the core of this letter is that. Christ is the supreme power over the entire universe. And so there is uh, a doctrinal section in which he lays out the doctrine of the church. And then there is a section of the letter in which he kind of lays out um, what that means for your daily lives, which is a format you, you might have picked up on. You know, Ephesians does kind of the same thing, albeit in a bit slightly different way. Um, and so, uh, but Paul does this a lot. Now, so he does, He kind of has, the first couple of chapters here are like a doctrinal section. So you have this section in, uh, at, right after his greeting here in chapter 1, starting in verse 15, talking about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister so he starts off by, oopsies, that was loud. Um, he starts off by um, explaining who Jesus is. Right? He, he is the ruler of all creation. He is God. Um, let's not bring in other religions into this. He is it. He is the only one worthy of your worship, and he'll continue on. In chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been fulfilled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So, there's a a pretty explicit warning in there against buying into the lies of the people who would syncretize Christianity with Judaism, with pagan religions, with Gnosticism, right? Stand firm and don't let these other things creep in. Don't let these false religions creep in and co opt your beliefs. That's what he's trying to get the Colossians to realize, that, that their faith is not doesn't need um, the, the influence of these other religions. They can reject them all because Jesus is all in all. And that is the letter to the Colossians. So we've covered Philippians and Colossians this week. We will be back next week with another podcast, probably covering another couple of Paul's letters.